I do think the music business now is basically inseparable from Chinese money. Hi, everybody, and welcome to How Music Charts, the podcast where we explore the dance between interpreting data and making creative decisions in the music business every day. I'm your co-host, Jason, and you'll hear from our co-host, Rutger, very, very soon. This podcast is owned and operated by Chartmetric, a music data company that connects numbers to narratives to help professionals leverage the power of music. Any opinions or views expressed by our guests or the co-hosts on this podcast are his or hers alone and do not in any way constitute the opinions or views of any company he or she works for. To preserve a tone of earnest dialogue and protect our guests, we will refrain from from using names of any kind, personal, company, or otherwise, unless our guests have granted us explicit permission to do so. We are back with a part two of our talk with award-winning journalist Sherry Hu, who has been covering the intersection of music technology and business for over five years. In this section, we get into her hot takes on recent headlines involving the geopolitical TikTok situation, virtual singing competitions, and of course, Kanye West. We also visit Sherry's well-informed crystal ball, and hear some of her predictions over the next few years on Cobalt Music, audio on Amazon and Audible, and songwriting artificial intelligence. Finally, we get into how Sherry has grown her 8,000-member newsletter, Water and Music, and her 600-plus member Patreon community to support her ability to provide independent insights and cultivate a like-minded community of innovators. Towards the end of the episode, you'll hear a question from one of our newer writers, Michelle Yuen, who's working in fine on our blog at blog.chartmetric.com. But for now, here's part two of our conversation with Sherry Hu. All right, Sherry. So now it's time to get your quick take analysis on some recent music industry headlines and trends, something you're like the expert at. Um, But let's see how short you can make it. Like tweet length, <laughs> okay. if okay. possible. Oh, this is be a challenge. That's <laughs> good. It's good. I need I need this constraint. So yeah, <laughs> do it. <laughs> um. So obviously, maybe the most or the biggest headline in the past couple of weeks is the back and forth with the TikTok ban, and mm-hmm. I think now it's like going ahead, maybe. As long as Oracle and Walmart have like complete or majority control, um, so yeah, your quick take on that. Ooh, okay. Uh, quick take was that um, as as so many things, unfortunately, this year, so much energy expended, basically for nothing. Like the end result was just this. <laughs> there's so much, like so much. At least maybe in like in my bubble of media, but also in like entertainment, um, just no knowing what's going on. That at the end, probably, yeah, my sense is there won't be a ban. Um, and it was just a cloud partnership with Oracle, of all companies. <laughs> well, like, the CEO has connections to Trump, and that's a whole separate story. So, yeah, so it's like, it was all kind of for nothing. Um, TikTok is still running. You know, everything's kind of not back to normal, but uh, I think people are still using the app pretty regularly. Um, let's see. I think it will, I don't have, like, a clear, like, uh, I guess statement on this, but I do think the music business now is basically inseparable from Chinese money. I think that's very much a reality, whether it's through um, TikTok being connected to ByteDance or at least like formerly, I guess we would say that, or um, or like Tencent owning a stake in Universal, which um, has shares, I believe has shares in Spotify. So like everything is is all connected to these Chinese companies. And I think there are, um, definitely significant, like geopolitical 
consequences of that that i i don't i think most people in the music industry um are not like equipped to deal with or think about so that's just like definitely an important consideration in terms of how we kind of prepare for that um and kind of how we react to that in the event that we you know get some pushback from like china on like certain kinds of content that would be like totally normal in the u.s for example so yeah that's definitely ongoing development but that's just like an important point I do want to put out there, like Chinese money to, to an extent runs the biggest companies in the music industry or definitely like ha- has a hand in all of them. All right. Next headline is from uh, Rady, China. I don't know if I'm saying that right, Michelle. It says humans need not apply. This new TV talent contest is for virtual idols only. So a few notes on this one. So Chinese streaming platform Yi, I think that's the right way to say it, mm-hmm. has announced that it's launching the country's first ever virtual idol variety show in a move that's somehow both pretty out there and oddly predictable. Entitled Dimension Nova, the new show will feature more than 30 virtual competitors navigating a series of competitions and challenges to select the final winner. The judges are human, uh, but the contestants are computer generated. If, if, if the judges were computer generated, that would be crazy. Like, I, I feel like it would work the other way around better, right? Like, I feel like the, the whole like judgment process that would can, be interesting. Route yeah. that into pitch or tempo or whatever. Yes. I feel like the computer could totally do that. But yes, that's just me and my karaoke experience uh, <laughs> talking there. Oh wait, okay. Very quickly, there is um, a show coming out on Netflix shortly. This could potentially be this. I don't think it is, but it's um, an impressions contest. So it's like, how well can people um, sing a song in a way that sounds most like the original artist. So that's a situation where like AI can actually play a role. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, huh. On this. Have you heard of this one? No, I've not heard of this. Yeah, it's new to me too. That's crazy. That's yeah. I need, to, I need to actually, so yeah, full disclaimer for those listening at this time of recording. I've not read the article. I have to do that <laughs> after this, but what is my reaction to that? So I guess that's, it's interesting because I guess the amount of talent needed. So, so with, I'm thinking with like uh, shows like American Idol, um, they always have these like cut scenes before the actual performance showing like the rehearsal process and um, like how they interacted with their coach or like the voice of so like a celebrity coach. I wonder what, like if, if this has a similar structure, what those scenes will be like, like, will there be um, scenes of like people on the team like animating the virtual idol like before it goes on stage just coding (laughs) sorry just coding yeah (laughs) exactly yeah so that's like that's my first question like who enters or like what is the structure of that are there like because there is a like a significant engineering team around all of these bigger avatars like Hatsune Miku uh, that like it's I can't I can't imagine those kinds of teams going into like a very like cutthroat fast paced kind of contest like this. So I wonder, yeah, like what those teams will look like. Uh, yeah, I'm envisioning this like I guess very traditional structure of the cutscene. Will there be coders? There may be um, or like like animators or designers that could be interesting. And yeah, I guess like all the the items, all the elements being judged are just so different. Um, I would imagine it's like there's like the visual aspect. Um, in addition to, I guess, like choreography and, and singing quality. So yeah, that's, I guess, a question that I have that maybe the article answers or does not in terms of like who enters and what the, the team around that is like. It doesn't. It's super short. So I'm super oh, curious. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll cool. see. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The, the next headline comes from um, 
music business worldwide, specifically David Israelite, the president and CEO of National Music Publishers Association. And he's making the case that live streaming um, should respect the rights of songwriters. And he opens up the, you know, the question of how we should treat licensing with, especially after COVID with live streaming becoming so popular and so many musicians, especially um, live streaming and others live streaming and using artists work. Yeah, I do have some thoughts on this. It's So I noticed this was an issue um, pretty early on because uh, Instagram was kind of taking down, Instagram and Facebook were taking down um, a lot of live streams that DJs in particular were doing because I guess they were using existing master recordings. And then after any range, the rules are very opaque, but I've heard as little as 10 seconds and as much as like a minute and a half um, before a stream would get shut down. Um, so there's a ton of confusion from the DJ world about these rules. Those rules, I think, have not become more transparent. I think they basically stayed the same, even though Facebook and Instagram have kind of updated their policies. Um, Twitch is Twitch has never, I think, taken down a stream in real time. It's only taken down archived videos. And I think the RIAA is being much more aggressive in like issuing takedowns, takedowns for that reason. My stance on whether so so I do think especially so yeah especially given that um touring as a revenue stream both for artists and for like performers and songwriters in terms of getting that kind of like public performance income um now that that is off the table I think there is an analog in the way that um people are uh I guess using music or performing music through these live streams um that said it's it's it is hard to or I, I can imagine it is difficult to um I guess incorporate kind of a blanket licensing structure for all of the different use cases for live streaming, all the different kind of um end results. For example, um if you uh like don't keep your live stream uh if you don't like keep your live stream up, that I think requires a different set of rights from if you are like live streaming in real time and also um I guess, and also keeping on demand after the fact. Um, and it's like incorporates every single kind of like right in music industry, I think from like, uh, yeah, master side, the publishing side of performance, it's like kind of, it's a collaboration of everything. So that makes it more complex. One huge issue that is as yet unresolved is I think Twitch makes most of its money from um, direct subscriptions and from like tips that go direct to the uh, creator. Uh, or the streamer. Uh, and so if, uh, and I think most, most of that money like is given in real time, like while a stream is happening, like a lot of people tipping, um, you know, like artists as the stream, yeah. As the stream happens in real time. Um, if music is playing like in the background during a stream where an artist is getting a lot of tips or a streamer is getting a lot of tips, like should the, um, should the song in the background get a cut of that revenue or like what, what pool of revenue, I guess, will you be pulling from and how should it be split between the creator, the platform, and then the rights holder? I think that's, it's super tricky. I can see it, uh, like creators definitely pushing back against, um, like, I guess payouts to creators coming from, 
uh, I guess coming from their share of tipping revenue, I guess it would have to come from Twitch's slash Amazon's share. But yeah, I guess because the the ecosystem and its growth uh, in in like music specifically is relatively new, all of these um, rules have not been clearly laid out yet. But they're definitely happening at like a much faster rate now because of because of the growth of live streaming in general. Cool. So the next headline is has to do with Kanye, and I know you mm-hmm. you wrote about his uh, like the yay combinator. I yay, yay combinator. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question with regard to this headline of his tweet storm about reclaiming his masters is does this and this might sound dumb but does this matter will this change anything in terms of um the industry moving to more toward licensing deals as opposed to all like all out master ownership Mm. or is this just kanye being kanye Uh, yeah, another, another great question. Uh, I don't think it's a dumb question at all. I think a lot of people are wondering this. I mean, there's so many different factors at play. There's the, I mean, first and foremost, there's a notion that Kanye as like a public figure is, um, problematic in a lot of ways, but also super influential. I don't think anyone can, um, deny that, uh, people who deny that I think are definitely blind to like the size of his followership and fan base now. Um, so he is influential. And so I think, especially if when he's like uh, tweeting like page by page of his contract uh, and like making those details kind of uh, super transparent where vast, like, yeah, almost no other artist would like, I guess, be in a position to do that. Um, I think it definitely does matter. Um, that said, his contracts are from like 2005 to 2016. I think it was like the most recent update and it, there was just like one clause that was updated, I think. It was mostly 2005 to 2012. Um, and so the vast majority of like the contracts that he shared were from a super different time. I'm thinking of, um, ironically, given that it's Kanye, of like uh, the whole situation around Taylor Swift as well um, in terms of her not having control over um, her master recordings and like where they went. Um, both of those celebrities kind of, I guess their first deals that were instrumental in their careers came up in a super different time um, when I think it was natural to sign away your rights to like five subsequent albums. I feel like that people definitely advise against doing that now. I do think now like a lot of art, uh, independent artists um, who at least like take more time to build on their own terms end up getting into licensing deals with with major labels. So like they'll license it for maybe like a five-year period, but um, afterwards the rights revert back to themselves. And so I think with a younger generation of artists, there is definitely a lot more savvy. I like, I'd like to think, um, at least from like the artists who I've seen, um, Maggie Rogers is one example. Um, Kuko is another example. Uh, so they're a bunch of like, um, yeah, it's definitely like younger, more like indie leaning artists who are major label signed, but it's all just like a licensing and services deal. Um, so that I think is definitely becoming more normal. Um, I feel like the way, so like making the contracts transparent, um, definitely a service, but I kind of mentioned this in my yay combinator piece, like the way Kanye is framing, like freeing artists and like improving the industry is through this very traditional, um, 
I guess, framework still of improving recording contracts and like doing that. So artists have argued for that for decades. Like other people have made this point. This goes all the way back to Prince, um, all the way back to like Michael Jackson. They've all like spoken out about, um, about, yeah, how artist contracts need to be improved. Um, making this change does, Kanye can definitely play a role, but it does also require like years and years of collective action. Um, and uh, interestingly, Kanye tweeted that he like supported forming like a musician's union, uh, which is interesting given that he's like at like the top 1% of the 1%. He's like one of the wealthiest <laughs> celebrities in the world at this point. Um, but that's kind of, yeah. So like, I think that the change that does really have to happen to make like system-wide improvements in these specific contracts, which is like a very specific, like specific part of the industry um, requires a lot, a lot more involvement for sure than just like one celebrity, but given his influence, given his reach and given what he's done to make a lot of these terms super transparent, um, I think that can affect change or at least like spark the conversation. I think with, with any like idea, it has to kind of show up repeatedly in a lot of people's, um, like heads, maybe before they can actually like affect change is just the nature of like humanity and I guess how our minds work. So, so hopefully this will nudge people kind of further in, in that direction. And given our futuristic theme on this episode, do you think you can predict two to three possible future headlines for us? Oh gosh. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Wow. Okay. Are we giving like a time frame to this? Oh, uh, oh, I see. Like a time frame in terms of like five How years. How far ahead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe one in 2020, one in the next couple of years, and one in the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I'm, 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 no, it's uh, a hard one. Okay. Recently there've been a lot of, uh, companies that, that have like rumors around them potentially exploring a sale. Um, one of them is Cobalt, which is, I guess, definitely like a music company. And the other one is Quibi, um, which is very unfortunate story about <laughs> like <laughs> how they raised like over a billion dollars, totally flopped. And, uh, bas- less than six months after launching, they're already looking for a sale. So, uh, I guess I'll start with those. I've asked some people like where they think Cobalt may sell. And my sense is it would be one of these bigger, um, definitely one of the bigger publishers. So like uh, it could, I could see selling to Concord, maybe uh, Concord Music Group or Round Hill is kind of like private equity uh, backed firm or Hypnosis um of all companies given that they've been buying up so much already and they do have an existing relationship with cobalt would be strange but but not surprising so those are kind of like three potential paths for that headline cobalt sells to insert like major publisher or like publishing royalty fund with a lot of cash here um quibi i could see uh like probably one of the bigger streaming platforms so i would say like, like quibi like netflix bias quibi i think they um have an interest in terms of like the talent they're aiming for um in terms of like netflix being a very traditional like hollywood business in terms of like yeah in terms of um churning out a lot of like original content i think so i can see that working um or any of like the other premium like video streaming on band platforms um so i'm not totally sure about that but i can see either or both of those happening within the next year for sure. So till like mid 2021, um, both those companies sell. Okay. So Amazon music recently launched podcasts and, um, audible also launched podcasts. 
And I think that just like creates a lot of weird noise to the point where they have to merge at some point. So I think that will also happen in the next like year and a half. Um, mm. Mm. Amazon Music and Audible will merge into um, one single platform that has music, audiobooks, and podcasts. I think Spotify is also looking into audiobooks. And so um, in terms of like the competitive advantage, I think it just makes sense to merge it all to one platform. Um, I see the timeline happening the next like year or like year and a half. One headline that will probably happen at some point uh, is I would, I would say put this like five years out is um, this uh, this number one hit song was okay. I could, actually, I could take it to the many extremes. Like one, this number one hit song was written by AI. Like mm-hmm. I see that happening in um, five years probably. So I thought actually, like, if you asked me a couple of years ago, I thought it would have happened sooner, but like the, the public, like celebrity level acceptance of the technology seems to be pretty slow, actually. So I'm give another five years. It's like 2025. Um, I, in, in saying that out loud, I also just thought about GPT-3. Um, so I can also see like a headline of, or like some kind of experiment, like here's a music blog written hundred percent by GPT-3. Um, I'd like probably it'll have some hot takes, but I can see it like being just as legit as like um, maybe like another music blog that's that's out there. Um, like I, I'm thinking like smaller indie music blogs. I guess I, I think about that a lot being like in the media business, thinking about like what that bodes for the future of a very specific kind of content where you're just like churning out news or like churning out reviews or like recycling other publications work. I think as GPT-3 advances, it could absolutely get to a point where it does that in a way that makes sense. Or if there are like certain holes in it, people will be uh, too time-strapped to care. We'll just kind of skim through it and, and move on. Um, so I, I see that like encroaching more into the media world in the next five years too. I mean, kind of like were, mind for me. Those are fantastic. So. <laughs> those are great. <laughs> those are super great. You know, before we go, I just wanted to ask about water music specifically. So I think it's really amazing that, you know, you're not only you're running this this Patreon that's highly successful, but you're also curating a community. Is actually what's yeah. happening now. You have a really cool Discord that people can sign on to and interact not only with you, but also with each other. Kind of like looking, you know, forward from today, where do you see, you know, your water music community going and what kind of cool plans that could you tease if if you if you will? In terms of the the community specifically, so uh so there are around, so almost 900 people uh, signed up as members now, and around half of them are, um, a little under half of them are in the Discord server, which I, I guess is the main hub for like day-to-day conversations about latest music industry news. Um, and something that I see, which I, I've seen a lot of other more community-oriented like brands do that I would like to try out, is um, creating these smaller like focus groups or working groups. So actually, so one example that is not a media company, but is kind of like an inspiration for this idea is a group called Ethos Club. So prior to the pandemic, they were a uh, co-working space and community in Brooklyn um, focused on people of color um, and and also like uh, creative people of color in particular. And they host a lot of great events and also offered this space that was pretty affordable. And so, uh, and so they shut down their space when the pandemic came and now they have a digital membership. Um, and in that membership, they have a lot of different um, clubs. So there is like a music club for people who want to focus on music. There's um, like a wellness slash health club. There's uh, 
I think, yeah, clubs for like a film club. So different kinds of like creative or like personal verticals that people can, um, sorry, that, that people can kind of tap into or sign up for. Um, and most of those clubs have either like moderators or just people, I guess, admin people who like run each of those groups. Um, and, and I think they're, uh, each of them are like compensated a bit for doing that, um, by the company. Um, so that I, I enjoy having that kind of like more spread out decentralized, um, kind of like categorization of the community or kind of like, uh, not splintering off. It isn't the right verb, but having these kinds of different pockets for people with different interests, but all united by this like wider shared, um, I guess like mission of, you know, uplifting people of color. So I can see something as, as the discord community grows, especially like in, in the event that it does grow to, um, like several hundred people or a thousand people, having to do, having to like centralize all of that, like communication just through like some channels that are shared by everybody. I can see that kind of getting unwieldy. So to be able to break that out, like I know there are artists in the group who um, do want to meet like investors in the group, but also each of those different groups of people have like different interests or different things they're tracking. So I have to think, I have to think through that a bit more, but I do want to see that. Um, or explore that more in the future. Uh, I like with Discord, you can like assign yourself different roles depending on like your interests. And I've seen other larger servers kind of um, uh, really like, I guess like tap into and, and leverage that capability to create like specific channels for people with specific backgrounds. Um, so yeah, I, I'd like to explore that more. I can see that um, going into the, uh, the actual content for Water Music as well in terms of creating specific uh, products that, that could be helpful for anyone in the music industry, but that are also, um, targeted at, that like targeted, especially at specific people. Like, yeah, I guess again, what people in the finance and like corporate label world are interested in, um, maybe different, uh, from what people on like the marketing side are interested in. And of course there could be a lot of overlap, but I guess as it grows and as, um, I will hopefully like hire more writers to increase like the, the cadence, like publishing cadence, the newsletter as well. Um, creating more of those kinds of channels that are specific to different uh, groups of the audience. I think that's um, one of the main kind of long-term plans right now. Sounds very exciting. You can check it out at sherryhugh.com or I believe it's patreon.com slash water music. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yep. Awesome. Michelle, is there anything that you wanted to ask Sherry at all? Yeah, no, I just thought it was really cool how like, um, kind of your whole like career trajectory to get to where you are now um, and like looking into um, the different kinds of like information that you get. So I was just wondering like how how do you I don't know if I don't know if Jason Rucker asked this already but like how do you kind of like go through all the the info that you do receive and like figure out like what you want to like kind of report on or like write about um, and then also like how do you filter through like I don't know if like fake news affects you mm. like when in terms of like the info that you hear about, um, but then how do you go through that as well? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Definitely a work in progress. I would say, especially this year, I feel like the news cycle is just like, um, just overflowing everywhere. So, um, but I think like my, my the main tactics have stayed the same. So I have a folder in my inbox that's just called Google alerts. And I kind of filter specific Google daily Google alerts for, specific topics um, there that I check like once every day or two. So I'll have like a Google alert for music streaming, music startups, um, certain companies like Spotify, 
major labels, just any like um, trend that I want to follow. And I'll check that every like just once or you know, once every day or two. So I'm not like getting bombarded by push notifications in real time. And so I can make sure I'm not, I'm not missing any story. Um, something I do care about. And it's, there's like one sentence of this like editorial guarantee for my newsletter is that um, I really want to write articles that have never been written before. And I like take that very seriously as one of many points of differentiation, like actually providing new um, either reporting or analysis that you are not going to find elsewhere. That's like a guarantee I want to, I want to um, ensure for readers. So that Google alerts and just like, I guess keeping up with the news helps with that too. So you know, as I'm looking through Google alerts, I'll see like what kinds of stories have been written about um, a certain trend or a certain company. And then from there, try to tease out based on like my own thoughts and talking with people in the industry, like what story isn't getting out there. Um, either that, or if I see a lot of like one-off news pieces about um, kind of uh, pointing to the same trend. So like lots of people partnering with gaming companies or doing like festivals in Minecraft. Um, if I see a bunch of like one-off news announcements that are not related to each other, but that all like connect, when, when you connect those dots, paint a bigger picture of what's going on. Um, that is definitely a motivating factor for me to kind of create a larger piece out of that. So a lot of it is just like, yeah, tracking um, trends over time and connect, trying to connect the dots among those uh, stories, um, especially when I'm not seeing like other people do it. Um, in terms of fake news, I guess the, I think the music industry does not really, I guess thankfully the tra like music industry trade publications don't like have that issue at the level that like politics does. Um, or I mean, just, yeah, any, any other topic really, but I do try to not. So one philosophy that I, that I also try to embrace is that, um, in vast majority of cases, the press release is not the actual story. Like the actual story is like some one level above the press release, or it has some kind of information that like the company, either the company isn't sharing or isn't like considering or, like if there's a certain data point um, in the press release, um, it's probably like handpicked to paint a more positive picture of what's going on. Um, but there's maybe something deeper. So that's also just like a general guiding principle um, that I keep in mind when kind of collating all these different kinds of stories and announcements. It's like, um, I guess, and, and that ties into trying to write a story that hasn't already been written. Like, yes, the press release says this, but what does that really mean for for people in the industry, like, is, is there something deeper going on? That's what I want. That's what I want to talk about. That sounds like, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for chatting with us, Sherry. Is there a way for people to reach out and contact you if they want to get in touch? Yeah, definitely. So I'm on Twitter a lot. So uh, you can follow me there and DM me there. I'm at Sherry who 42, uh, numbers 42. This email form on my website, sherryhu.com. You can also um, email me at, and then if you subscribe to my newsletter, which uh, the URL is just the, sh the short link bit.ly, bit.ly slash water and music. Um, and if you ever receive an issue, you can respond to me directly and I'll get that in my inbox as well. And I'll respond. Thanks yeah. again, Sherry. Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you, you so you. much. Awesome yeah, thank talking. You. Yeah, thank you as well. How Music Charts is written, produced by Jason Hoven and Rucker Rosenborg with research by Michelle Nguyen. 
Thanks again to Sherry Hu. Free Chartmetric accounts are available at chartmetric.com and podcast notes are at blog.chartmetric.com. You can also subscribe there for additional insights delivered to your inbox right after we publish. Follow our thoughts on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all on at Chartmetric. That's Chartmetric, no S. That's it for season two, episode 22 of How Music Charts. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.